worship team for leading us tonight. Thank them for what they've done and how they've served us. Thank you guys so much for being here. Welcome to Wednesday night. It's the best night of the week. Hope you guys are enjoying your wonderful Wednesday. It's so good to see you guys. Thank you for joining us. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 107 for the last week in our series that we've called Steadfast. Because the text says steadfast like 18 times, and it is all about one thing, the steadfast love of the Lord. And we're excited to dive into the last week. Everyone say, aww. Will we start a new series next week? Everyone say, yay! Amazing. Well, we're super thankful for that. Um, Hey, who's excited to have Connect Groups again? I thought so. That was kind of the vibe I was getting at the beginning of the night. And uh, yeah, we're super excited. So many things going on here uh, at Citizens Youth, but we are about one thing, and that is about worshiping Jesus, knowing Jesus, and learning to live for Jesus together. Amen? So in time like this, I'd love for us to put away distractions. Phones can go on the floor or in a bag or in your book bag or whatever it may be. I would love for you guys to have your Bibles open and your hearts open and your eyes open and up here. would be awesome. Uh, before we start, does anyone have a friend in the room? No, most people said no. That's okay. We love you. This is why you're all at youth group. You're trying to make friends. We get it. Does anyone have a friend in the room that just comes to them with like these ridiculous like questions? Okay, I think everyone has one friend in the room that is like, they ask the craziest questions. So I have this buddy of mine, he always will come up to me, and it's just like this, it's like to get your brain working, but it's also to kind of see what the other person thinks. He's like, hey, bro, would you rather have a pizza slice for a hand, or would you rather have soda shoot out of your pinky whenever you wanted it? Like questions like that, and then it's like, okay, I have to consider a couple things here. One, if I eat the slice of pizza that is my hand, does it come back? Or is it like one and done? Because if that's the case, then I'm definitely picking the soda. However, if I can just have unlimited pizza on my hand, I don't really drink soda. So there's like a lot to consider. You guys understand where I'm going with this? Okay, and then they'll ask other ridiculous questions. They'll be like, hey, ma'am, it's you versus a bunch of kindergartners. How many would it take for them to beat you in a fight? And it's like, I don't know, is it like 20 or 100? Is it like 200? You know what I mean? A thousand? You could take 1,000? I disagree. Or this is the best one. This is my favorite question to ask people. How many people would it take to take down a silverback gorilla? Not one person versus a gorilla? You need to leave. The exit door's right there. There's no point in you having... No, I'm just kidding. These are like, right. Does everyone have that friend? Raise your hand if you're like, yes, I have that friend. You are that friend. I can see that. I ask these things for a reason. There's a lot you need to consider with ridiculous questions like this. There's a lot of information I need to process. There's lots of things I need to understand. There's a lot of clarifying questions that I need to do. And our, uh, you know, in our lives, we have a lot of questions that float around our mind. Less ridiculous ones, hopefully. But there's questions that we ask ourselves every day that determines our outlook on life. It determines where we're going, where we're heading, and what we want to do. We ask ourselves questions like, man, what am I going to do with my future? We ask ourselves questions like, man, what am I uh, supposed to do with my life, like, after college? Like, I know which college I want to go to, but, like, what am I supposed to do after that? 
Sometimes we have much more serious questions and difficult and hard moments in life where it's just like, dude, what is the point of what I'm going through right now? This thing, this struggle that I have, this difficult situation, what is even happening? We ask ourselves these questions all the times, and there's a few things that we need to consider. When I tell you this, I'm telling you that all these questions that sometimes we can ask ourselves about our lives, where am I going? What am I doing? What's the purpose of me? What's the purpose in me being here on this earth can all be answered in the correct way when you know one thing, when you know how much it is that the Lord loves you. The finale of the series tonight, the psalmist ends this, this, this wonderful chapter with this one thing. He says this, whoever is wise, let them attend to these things that we're about to read and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. When you wake up every single morning, you need to consider or ponder or think about or dwell on God's steadfast love for you. And when you do, it will change your outlook on life. It will change your outlook on your situation. It will change your outlook on absolutely everything when you consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I can't force you to believe it. I can't convince you. I can't manipulate you to believe it. It is a question that you have to ask yourselves. Do I believe that God loves me? Do I believe that he loves me and he cares for me? And when you do know that, when you do believe that with your whole heart, it will change everything about your life. It will change the circumstance you're going through. It will change maybe what you do with your future. It'll change the people you hang out with. It'll change what you say, what you think, what you feel about yourself and what others and others. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Tonight we are finishing our series called Steadfast, and I want you guys to understand this truth that God's love for you and for me is consistent, never changing, always present, and always ready to help. He himself is steadfast because his love for you is steadfast. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to read this text. God, thank you for this night. Lord, help us to understand and recognize that your love for us is steadfast. There's no one else we need to run to. There's nothing else we need to turn to but you alone, Lord. Be with me tonight as we uh, look into this awesome uh, chapter as it ends here. Uh, I pray that you would hide whatever is my opinion or my perspective and that you would only bring forth your truth, that you would only bring forth uh, what it is that your word has to say for us tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Psalm 107, we saw four narratives unfold in this kind of poetic way. If you look back for, through the 40-plus verses of this passage, we see uh, four different people rescued and redeemed by the Lord. We see, number one, people wandering in the desert, needing to find uh, civilization. They need to find a city, and the Lord rescues them. We see prisoners broken free from chains that they were bonded in because of the sinful actions that they themselves brought on. We saw fools on the brink of death starving that the Lord rescued. And then the week before the conference, we saw voyagers rescued from this incredible, insane storm. And there's a few verses that repeated themselves, right? They, cri they cried out to the Lord, and he heard them. And he delivered them from their distress. Let them sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. There's consistently those things. When you run to the Lord, 
When you turn to him, he is consistent and steadfast in being a deliverer for you. And tonight's passage is uh, not a narrative. It's not a picture necessarily. Uh, uh, you know, it's not in the same format that we read, but there's still truth in there, and there's still a very clear picture of God's steadfast love for you. The Psalms are amazing, by the way. The Psalms are brilliant. If you are lonely and scared and you're lost in confusion, angry, whatever it may be, the Psalms help us point our hearts and our affections back to God in worship. And when you're in the opposite end, when you're joyful, excited, optimistic, comfortable, enjoying life, the Psalms help point our hearts and our affections back towards God. And tonight's passage will hopefully do the same. Look at verse 33. Psalm 107, verse 33 says this, He, speaking of the Lord, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. In the first part of this passage here, we see a glimpse into God's justice and grace. Verse 33 through 38 show us a picture of God's justice and his grace. The opening verses of this poem, we see God deliver his justice to the evil and give mercy to the hungry. So we sing the song Graves in the Gardens a few times, which is a very uh, great and amazing song. There's so much truth in it. There's so much, there's this biblical poetry throughout it, and, and we have sung it so many times. Right? You guys know it? You turn morning to day, right? You know, you're not going to make me sing right now. Please don't make me do that. Um, you know, it speaks of all these things that the Lord can rescue and the Lord can redeem. You turn uh, seas into highways. You turn bones into armies. This incredible thing. But look back at this text here. You might be tempted when you read it to think, wait, this seems like the exact opposite as what we sing about in the graves and the gardens, right? He, speaking about God, turns rivers into a desert, right? Okay, rivers give life and have water, and then deserts are dead. Why would God, wait, why, why would God do that? Springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of one thing. Like, oh, wait a second, like, is God changing his mind here? Is God, like, going through something right now, and he's just, like, is super, you know, like, what? why would we, like, singing, he turns rivers into desert, like, that doesn't sound as good. Like, it seems like it would be a bit discouraging to walk into a church, and they're singing about how the Lord is drying up the land, and you're like, oh, this is kind of a weird church. I don't know. Why does it say? It says, it says right here in verse 34, because of the evil of its inhabitants. You see, the Lord is gracious, but he's also just. The Lord is gracious and he is also just. He can be both of those things, and in fact, he is both of those things at the exact same time. It's not an exclusive thing. Oh, either God's gracious or he's just. No, God is gracious and he is just. The passage here speaks to a group of people who are inhabiting a land, 
And because of their evil, the Lord has now decided to dry up those rivers. He's decided to turn those springs of water into salty ground. It's this image of something that you, you can't get sustenance from anymore, right? You can't, like, go up to a salty, like, pool or a salty uh, water or anything like that and drink it and suspect that you're going to feel good in the next few days, right? The Lord, because he is just, has delivered justice upon a group of people who were wandering and who were sinful. God always gets the final say in the fight against evil. God always gets the final say in the fight against sin and evil. There's never a moment where God's justice isn't delivered. It may seem like it from our perspective. It may seem like that in certain times or certain moments, but the Lord always has the final say in the fight against evil. No authority is too large. No army too intimidating. No bully that is too strong. God has the final say. I promise you that. I absolutely promise you that. I want you to believe that and hold steadfast to that. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground because of the evil of its inhabitants. While God is just and he holds justice very close, he also does this. Verse 35 is the complete opposite, right? He says, he turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. It's this wonderful picture of those who are doing wrong and doing evil, watching their blessings, the common grace that they may have received, dwindle, and what does it say? It says, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, we watch the Lord run to them, rush to them, help them in their time of need, in their time of trouble, because God always has the final say. God always has the final say. In moments where it seems difficult, in moments where it seems like evil might be reigning, the, the Lord always has the final say in the fight against sin. Just as he takes away from those who are doing evil, he blesses and pours out mercy upon those who are being, uh, uh, who are hungry. Notice what it doesn't say in the text, right? Okay, it says this. Uh, it says, because of the evil inhabitants, the Lord is taking away these things. But it doesn't say, because these other people are trying super hard, because these other people are super awesome and they have never done anything wrong in their life, God's going to bless them instead. No, what does it say? And he lets the hungry dwell. The reason that God pours out these blessings is because he's gracious and he's merciful. It wasn't any works of our own. It wasn't any striving of these people. It is because of one thing and one thing alone, the grace of the Lord. See, grace and mercy are different. I've said both of them. I need to clarify. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And when God gives us things, we don't deserve any of it. When God brings us blessings, we don't deserve any of them. But he does because why? Because he lets us have them and he lets the hungry dwell. The Lord always has the final say in the fight against evil. It's grace. 
It's nothing but grace. It is grace and grace alone that people who need help and need assistance, the Lord rushes to them. At one space and time in our lives, we were all lost, all lonely, confused, seeking sustenance, something that is going to satisfy us, something that is going to bring us life. And if you're a Christian in the room, you have found that ultimate sustenance. You have found that ultimate sustaining power when you found Jesus. But it wasn't because of works of our own. Why? What is it because? It is because he lets the hungry dwell. He allows us to go into the fold of God. It's because of his grace, because of his mercy. And this isn't just a picture of like, okay, now I'm not going to be dead. This is a picture of abundance. I mean, look at this. Uh, These people, he turns deserts into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. There he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sowed fields and plant vineyards, and uh, they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. This is all referencing an overabundance of grace, fields, vineyards, fruits, livestock that doesn't diminish, right? We don't have livestock necessarily, but this is speaking of blessings, pouring out blessings upon uh, God's people. Why? is the question that I ask when I read this. Why would this be the case? And for that, I can't give an answer. Why should I gain from his reward? A song we sing when we talk about God's love for us. Why should we benefit from these things? I can't tell you. It's because he's gracious, because he is good. So a group of evil people who are doing wrong, we watch their blessings diminish. We watch them be put in a situation where God is delivering justice. And the hungry and the needy, we watch God rush to them. This is just the character of God. This is who he is. This is what he has done. We see this imagery of of food, vineyards, shelter, supply. Everything that you would need, it's an overabundance of these things. I can't help but think about what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. He also says this in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation to know Jesus is an invitation to rest. The invitation to know Jesus is an invitation to living water that will always satisfy. An invitation to know Jesus is to bread of life that will always cause you to be satisfied and never hunger again. We see an example here in this poetic imagery of God's justice and his grace. His grace is overly abundant for you. If you know the Lord, then you have access to this grace. If you've been wandering or if you've never decided to turn and embrace Jesus in faith, then you right now, friend, are in a season of starving. You're in a season of looking around thirsty ground trying to find a drop of water. But I promise you that the Lord is willing and ready and wanting to meet with you. There he lets the hungry dwell. This beautiful resting place where Jesus invites us in to a relationship with him. This is the character of Yahweh. This is the character of God to invite people in to constantly reconcile and redeem all things to himself. 
But as we know and understand the steadfast love of the Lord, we know his grace and we know his justice. God always gets the final say. God will always be the one who rules over everything, over authorities, over powers, over whatever it is that is stressing you out. The Lord is bigger, and he stands above those things, and he will have his justice. And sometimes our perspective is flawed when we think about that. Sometimes when we watch the news or sometimes when we uh, are in school or in a group of friends, we see nothing but like, hey, this person seems pretty bad, and it seems like they're kind of getting what they want. Like, what's that about? Hey, this person really sinned against me, and no one believes me, and all of a sudden I'm like really lost and confused because of it. What's the deal with that? Our perspective is very limited, right? Our perspective... We only concede necessarily what's right before us, but the Lord stands sovereign above, above time. He stands sovereign above everything, and in his timing and in his way, perfect justice will be administered. I mean, we already sang about it today, the scandal of grace that the Lord has given us. If we know him, if we've embraced him in faith, then we already have access to this miraculous thing, which is forgiveness of our sins. But as others sin against us, we want justice, like, right now. Like, dude, hey, could you, like, the enemies I have, this thing that's happening that's really bad, could you, like, dry up those springs right now, God? Could you, like, go ahead and do these things? We have to trust in God's timing. But I always promise you, and I'm telling you, it is in his character that at the end of all things, justice will be administered. As we pray for the people who persecute you, whether it's in your school or whether it's going to be in a much more serious way in the future in your life, we know that the Lord is sovereign, reigning above everything, and his perfect justice will be administered. Because of the evil of its inhabitants, the Lord takes away blessings, and because we are hungry, even when we didn't deserve it, he is willing to pour out blessings upon us in overabundance. We have a picture of God's justice and his grace an invitation. Are you hungry or tired, lost, thirsty? If you're tired, are you done with the things that you thought were going to satisfy you, but you are just like completely at the end of your rope? You're completely at the end of the thing that you thought was going to give you life, and you're just ready to throw in the towel and say, dude, none of this makes sense. This invitation to living water this invitation to a safe place, this invitation to blessing is for you and for me. And it's not earthly blessing, right? This is not necessarily a completely literal story because when we come to know Jesus, when we embrace him in faith, the one thing he promises us is that our earthly life actually is not going to be as easy as we thought it was going to be. But the spiritual blessings of knowing God will far outweigh all of the bad things that happen. The invitation is to living water, to rest, to a light burden and an easy yoke. They sow fields and plant vineyards. It's this abundance. They don't need all these things. And they get a fruitful yield. They multiply. They are, they are growing, and he does not let their livestock diminish. God's grace is great, and so is his justice at the same exact time. He always has the final say in the fight against sin, and he is always willing and ready to welcome you into abundant grace. 
if you would turn to him, if you would know him. And in our, uh, you know, struggle against evil, in our struggle watching things unfold that wear our hearts down, we trust that the Lord will have his way in his time. And we take shelter in his presence. We know that he is near. Look at verse 39, verses 39 through verse 42. It says this, when they are diminished and brought low. Okay, so this is the group of people who now have experienced blessings, but now they're going back into a time of difficulty. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. This few verses right here are a picture of God's continued deliverance for his people. We've seen pictures, right? We just talked about four of them. People wandering away, sinning, whatever it may be. And the Lord brings them back in when they cry out to him. And this is continuing in that. When they're diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, or sorrow, he pours contempt on all princes. The Lord will continue his faithfulness to you in your life, no matter what it is that you're going through. The steadfast love of God doesn't change when your circumstances do. The steadfast love of God doesn't change when you're watching great evil unfold before your eyes on the television. The steadfast love of the Lord doesn't change when you experience a loss that you never wanted to deal with. The steadfast love of the Lord is always willing and ready to rescue you when you wander back into sinful ways. When they are diminished and brought low. So this could be a reference to a few things. One, it could be specifically people uh, who are coming to oppress, or it could be experiencing oppression, evil, and sorrow uh, from the consequences of their own sin. The text doesn't specifically say. But I like the idea of when it, uh, like, just seeing how the verses 39 and 40 flow together. I believe that this is an example of when Christians are being attacked. This is when an example of when Christians or people um, are being brought uh, under oppression from someone who's bigger, a bully, uh, a larger force, whatever it may be. And verse 40, again, speaks to God's justice when he says he pours contempt on all princes, authorities, rulers, whatever it may be, and he makes them wander in trackless waste. That idea of contempt it kind of means like ignore or to look down upon. When, when Jesus came to this earth, he had the biggest problem with people who were oppressing the poor, who were oppressing the needy, who were oppressing those who were in a system that didn't support them. The Lord had a really big problem with those people. And I love passages like this. He pours contempt on princes. Those maybe people look up to you, those who might be more powerful. The Lord, it's like this idea of ignoring or this idea of looking away from that, and he makes them wander in trackless wastes, right? The opposite of this would be he draws near to them and he directs them. This is the opposite. He pours contempt, and they kind of wander off, right? We're seeing a picture of God's continued deliverance, God's continued deliverance in your life. Oppression, evil, sorrow, all these things are mentioned could be from an outside force or it could be self-inflicted. But God is ready to rescue his people from all these things. 
He's ready to rescue them from all these things. He raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. <laughs> the upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. It reminds me, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Jesus is our good shepherd, and he's constantly bringing us back into his flock. Look at what the verse says. He makes their family like flocks. The Bible calls us sheep a lot, which is not necessarily a compliment, but it's a really good thing when you know the shepherd is good. It's not good to be a sheep, right? It's, you, you don't know where you're going. You, you're going to die if you don't, like, stay with your flock. It's not great, but it's a really good thing when you know the shepherd. It's a picture of God bringing in this. He makes their families like flocks. He protects. He brings them in. He puts a hedge of protection around them. The Lord is ready to rescue them from what? The oppression, the evil, the sorrow, when they're diminished, when they're brought low. There's a few promises that you need to cling on to when life gets hard. And this is one of them. When oppression comes, when evil comes, whether you've fallen back into sin, whatever it may be, the Lord is never ready to just, like, kick you out of the flock. You're like, all right, fine. Like, dude, you messed up again. Like, you're out. You're not in our cool club anymore. Never. That's not God's character. That's not who he is. He is always making the family of God like a flock. He's bringing his people in. Jesus is our good shepherd to bring us closer to God when it, everything seems like we are scattered. In affliction, where do you turn? In times of trouble, where do you go to? What's the first thing that your mind and your heart runs to? Is it, dude, I got to go on like Instagram or TikTok and post about how I'm feeling. I just need to subtweet a bunch of people. Then I'm going to feel a lot better after it. In affliction, uh, in affliction or pain, where do you go to? Is it a friend? Like, dude, if I just like connect with this person and they tell me everything's going to be okay, I, I just need to talk and that's what I really need. Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Maybe it's something more serious like a substance to numb the pain, alcohol, weed, vaping, whatever it may be. Where do you run to in times of distress? Where do we run to when things get difficult? When they're diminished and brought low through oppression and evil, he pours contempt on princes, right? Speaking of the justice, but he raises the needy out of affliction. God is always ready and willing to meet with you. God is always willing and, and ready to protect those who cannot protect themselves. He rushes and runs to the ones who are humble in their hearts and in their minds, in their actions, and they recognize, I don't have anything I can do to get myself out of this oppression. I don't have anything that I can do to get myself out of this evil. I don't have anything I can do to bring myself out of this sorrow. But I will turn to the Lord. I will run to him. I will recognize that he can raise me up out of affliction. Where do you run to? Where do you turn the Bible promises that he will raise us up if we would follow him, if we would turn to him when things are difficult. Where do you run? God's justice and his grace are on full display. God's continued deliverance is always near. And now at the very end of our series, the very last passage, the very last verse that we have 
he gives us one final word of wisdom in verse 43. 42 amazing verses that speak to the God's steadfast love for you and for me with illustrations, with poetry, with example, with instruction. 42 verses, and he ends it with this one. He says, whoever's wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. She kind of throws it in at the end. So because of all these great examples, all this, uh, this wonderful imagery and this character of Jesus and Yahweh that we have displayed, the wise person will do this. The person who is wise will attend to these things. They'll think about these things, and they will consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's just like this last little nugget. Hey, maybe think about this. We need to be thinking and dwelling and considering the steadfast love of the Lord. It's a final call to wisdom. You see, you and I, we have a choice. What we think about, what we dwell on, the questions that, we, that pop up in our heads, is life worth living? Am I worthy of love? Am I, like, accepted? Am I cared for? Am I going to make it through this difficult situation? All these questions need to be second. And the first question that you need to ask yourself is, is God's steadfast love for me still strong? And the answer will always be yes. There will never be a time where the answer is no. And the wise person thinks about that, and they consider that. There's a lot of things that you need to consider before you take actions, right? If you're going on a vacation, you need to consider a lot of things. Do I want to go to a tropical place? Do I want to go to a place that's kind of off in the woods, right? If you are looking at your future, right, after college, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? Our, what we think about and what we consider changes our actions. As we get caught up in some of these questions, every single day, you have to ask yourself first, consider this one fact, and that is the steadfast love of the Lord for you. Let the wise person dwell about these things. Let the wise person think or attend to these things, and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If you don't have God's love for you at the forefront of your mind, at the forefront of your attitude, the forefront of everything that you're going to do, you're going to walk into and wander into a lot of mistakes. If you don't first consider that God loves you, you may walk through your whole day feeling that you're worthless. And the things that people say about you, they're true, and I should listen to them, and I'm not a good person. But when you first consider the steadfast love of the Lord, that is a power that cannot be taken away from you and me, friends. It is a uniquely Christian thing that we have when we know that God's steadfast love for you does not change. Because God loves me, I know that my life has meaning and, and purpose. Because God loves me, I know I don't have to fear the future. Because God loves me, I want to do what he says. Because God loves me, I am no longer lonely or confused. Because God loves me, I am beautiful and cherished in his eyes. Be wise. Think about these things. 
Let the wise person consider these truths. Let the wise person have them on the forefront of their minds. Let them consider what it is that the Lord has done for them and what he is constantly doing. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord. When you're doubting, it's possible to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. When evil seems to win the day, we have to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. When you think it's all over for you and you don't want to live life anymore, consider the steadfast love of the Lord. When you're stuck in sin again and you think God's got to give up on me this time, consider the steadfast love of the Lord. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with, your thoughts, your perspectives? What is at the first and, and foremost thought in your mind? Because it says, let the wise person attend to these things. Think about these things we talked about for 42 ver uh, verses and for five weeks in a row. Let the wise person think about this and then consider the truth that God loves you. Because I, I, can't, I, I can't convince you. I can tell you the truth. I can say what it is, but you have to decide that for yourself. The question should no longer be, does God love me? The question should be, do I believe that he does? Because that will change everything. Because the answer is yes, he does. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I believe that he does? Because when I believe that he does, I can walk through this life with oppression, evil, whatever it may uh, that befall upon me, and know that the Lord's love will always be there to deliver me. The Lord's love will always be there to rescue me. The abundant pools of living water, the bread of life, the rest that comes from God will always be accessible to me when I know and I believe that they are true. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your thoughts, your perspective? On a day-to-day -day basis, what are you telling yourself about yourself? Because you're constantly telling yourself things. You're constantly, and I've, I've been there. I've done that. Like, you're constantly telling yourself, I'm not worth it. I am a problem. I am an issue. But let the wise person do what? Attend to these things. You need to have Scripture and the truth of Scripture tied so closely to your heart that when the thoughts of negativity, that when the thoughts and the sinfulness, like when those things show up, you can know truth and you can consider these things and consider not just truth but love, specifically the love from the Lord. Where's your mind? Where does your thoughts go? What are you dwelling on? He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched lands into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards they get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and the wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever's wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love.
of the Lord. The band's going to come up now and play in a second. We're going to pray here um, now as we close. And as we pray, I couldn't help but look at these verses and, and kind of chuckle a little bit about where the Lord has brought us in this time. You know, you plan out series and when things are going to happen, when things are going to occur. And, and this week, the series was pushed back a week because I got sick. And I was like, oh, I wish I was preaching a new series right after conference. And then I was looking at this passage and thinking about what's happening in our world and on the news and in Eastern Europe. And I was just thinking about God's sovereignty in the midst of it all. How the Lord is near to those who are oppressed. How the Lord is near to those who are experiencing evil done to them. How the Lord is near to those who are experiencing sorrow. And how the Lord pours contempt on princes and authorities. He makes them wander in trackless ways. I had to kind of chuckle as I was reading that and saying, yes, Lord, you're sovereign over all these things. So I want to pray for us here in a minute. And I want to pray for us, um, a group of people who are um, experiencing uh, oppression and evil and sorrow. And that's our friends in the church uh, in the eastern part of Europe right now. And I want you to know these things, and I want you to know that when we pray, it is one of the most practical and effective things that we can do as Christians. Sometimes we think, oh, like, prayer, that's just like something you say, and like, you know, when you're all out of options, you pray, and that's just not the case. It should be the first option. It should be the first thing on the board. We recognize that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to those who are hurt. The Lord is near to those who are being persecuted. And the Lord pours contempt on princes, meaning there's another beautiful passage in Scripture that speaks to the Lord's sovereign power. It speaks about how the hearts of kings are like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord, which means God's in control of everything. God's in control of everyone. God is sovereign over these things. So we're going to pray for our friends, our brothers and sisters in the church, big church, by the way, big C church, uh, in the eastern part of Europe right now. We're praying for a few things. One, we're praying for peace. We believe that God is Jesus, specifically the Prince of Peace, and that he administers and brings perfect peace. We're going to pray, two for families to be reconciled. We're going to be praying for, three, grace to the opposed and hurting. The idea of people having blessings and the Lord protecting and guiding uh, those who are being hurt and oppressed. Would you bow your heads with me right now? No one looking around, no one joking, no one, like, checking their phone or Instagram. You can do that in about four seconds, but we're going to pray right now. God, thank you that you're near to the brokenhearted. God, thank you that you pour contempt on all princes, that your authority is above everything else. God, thank you that you will always get your justice, God. And we're praying right now for peace. For our friends in the church, many of them, all of them we've not met, those who worship Jesus, those who know you, who are fleeing a, a dreadful situation across the globe, God, we are praying for peace over that. We're praying that we would step up to be the church in prayer on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. Would we pray for our brothers and sisters, God, and would you continue to bring peace? God, we're praying that families would be reconciled in the midst of this. We're thinking about the mother right now who had to, uh, you know, step away from her son or her husband right now in a global conflict, and they don't know when they're going to be reconciled. We're praying that that reconciliation would happen, that families would be reunited in the midst of this conflict. God, I pray for grace for those who are uh, uh, being oppressed and are hurting. 
who are in a dreadful situation, God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient. Protect them, guide them. Lord, help us to be convicted about this, that we, we don't just, as a church, as the big church, we don't have the luxury of, of sitting and, 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 and always enjoying peace and comfort. We are always engaged in a spiritual battle and oftentimes in a real physical battle. And help us to pray. Help us to be ready to pray. Help us to be ready to love our brothers and sisters across the globe. God, I pray for the, uh, the peace that you bring to reign in our hearts as we uh, struggle with anxieties or fear. God, I pray that that would not be the case. I pray that you would uh, let us consider your steadfast love in all times and all seasons, God. We're praying that your church would grow stronger in Eastern Europe because of this. We're praying that your church would, go strong, would grow stronger in the midst of oppression like it has done for 2,000 years, God. We're expecting and knowing that you will do these things. We love you. We're thankful for your peace. We're asking you to deliver and administer justice as you will do perfectly. As we know, you always have the final say. No matter what it is that we see, no matter what it is we experience, you have the final say. Help us to believe that with our hearts. God, we're praying that families would be reconciled in the midst of this and, and, and reunited back together. We're praying for grace, Lord. We love you. Thank you for this. We worship you. Help us to worship with conviction and truth. Help us to sing in the midst of the storm. Help us to praise you in the midst of whatever difficulty may befall upon us. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this community here in this part of the world. Thank you that we get to encourage one another and be together. It's all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.